Welcome to the Bronx Cheer Basketball Show. I'm your host, Nathan Callanan, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jack Lynch. We're coming to you from Melbourne, Australia, where it is currently 7.24 a.m. on, what day is it? Friday, the 4th of December, 2020. <laughs> um, Thanks for clarifying. <laughs> it's still 2020. Uh, you might not believe it. Uh, so on today's show, it's a, JL, I said to you last pod, we're having a guest on and uh, you I haven't let me down. I haven't let you down. And he's, I can't believe we, uh, I managed to get him on this early because this man is like the exact middle point. I would say of our interests. He's none other than Drew Hanlon, the man who trains the likes of Joel Embiid and Jason Tatum, Bradley Beal, Zach Levine, just to name a few He's going to be coming on the show. It's going to be a great conversation. So definitely tune in for that. And we'll also just quickly recap what's happened in the last week. If you're new here, it's a great time. Please don't forget to press subscribe, follow, or whatever that button is on your podcast app or on YouTube, press subscribe. Um, we're going to put this on YouTube, JL. First one ever. Mate, this is our big break. This I'm excited. Um, I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to all the 14-year-old the boys commenting, <laughs> saying, this talking shit, having my first haters. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and don't forget to check us out on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, The Bronx Cheer Basketball. Go check us out everywhere. Follow and subscribe. It's going to be a great show. It's time for tip-off. When he's sticking you and taking all your money. Ladies and gentlemen, please do not, do not throw anything on the board if you injure a player on either team. Decker's going to the penalty, falls down. A clear path to the basket and slipped and fell much to the right of the Garden crowd. Harden lost the basketball, going to the basket, and it's going to give Westbrook an easy down. Oh, no! He missed it! Here's Curry off the steal. And oh, look out! I don't like to hear the fans yeah, cheering. I'm, I'm surprised by that, and, and the players are telling him not to be doing that. When he's sticking you and taking all your money. Once again, welcome to the Bronx Cheer Basketball Show. I'm with a guy who looks great at 7.25 in the morning. How are you, Jail? I think that's the first time anyone's ever said that I look good in the morning. <laughs> Famously not a morning person. Um, but other than that, feeling, feeling good, bright and early. Um, still feel half asleep, but also energized. So I'm looking forward to a good one. Yeah, it's going to be a great show today. As I mentioned, we're going to be talking to Drew Handlin, one of the best, if not the best uh, NBA. Come on, he's the best. He's the best, he's the best. Uh, skill trainers in the NBA. So, but before we get to Drew, uh, let's talk about, I'm frozen. Um, let's talk about uh, Wall. <laughs> I, I actually wrote on the document for all our viewers and listeners, Wall... Um, for Beal, because it's it's been a long 24 hours prepping for this episode. But Wall for us, it happened, apparent, Woj reported that after there was rumours and ideas about this trade that it sort of talks went dead for a couple of weeks and then in a couple of hours yesterday, the GMs got it done. What do you think of this trade, uh, Westbrook, for John Wall? I don't really know yet what's going to happen and who's the, if there's like a winner of this trade, but my initial thoughts are how good are trades where it seems that both teams get weirder and not necessarily weaker, but I just feel like it doesn't make sense for either team at the moment. So I don't know. I, I really don't know what to, what to say about it because I, I just don't think it benefits either team. The uh, rumours started up, of course, the reports that James Harden preferred to have John Wall moving into next season over Russell Westbrook. And it's actually amazing. I mean, and this is not a thing we're going to start talking about Harden, but I'm sure in history books it'll go down that Harden had CP3, Westbrook, and then John Wall um, within three consecutive seasons. 
Um, talk about ungrateful with his point guards. <laughs> I saw a good tweet and it was like, when you're the common denominator in all your breakups and, and refuse to realize it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. Sounds and about right what's happening. The Rockets also received a uh, protected first round pick that will be for 2023. Am I keeping you up, mate? You are. You are. <laughs> I am sorry. I'm not a morning person. I'm sorry that I woke you up this early. Uh, The good thing is for all our viewers and listeners that um, I didn't sleep. (laughs) That's why I've got the upper hand here. Everything's a bit like fuzzy in my vision, but no yawning. Um, Anyway, moving on. So yeah, they got a 2023 protected first round pick the Rockets. I can't, I still can't tell if the Rockets are looking to, rebuild or if they're looking to move with Harden and Wall. They're in no man's land at the moment. Yeah. I think. Who and knows? I mean, it does. If we get prime John Wall back, which I think most people, you know, highly doubt that'll be the case. But if we do, then, you know, then there's a chance that something's going down and Houston are going to be playing good basketball. But even then, like I know Russ had a bad, like a bad playoffs, but his regular season before he got injured was fantastic. Yeah, um, I don't like Westbrook. <laughs> I know, like for, from for example, from the sixteenth of December last year to the eleventh of February, so that's over. It's almost two months. He's played twenty-two games, averaged. Where are we looking here? 32 points per game, seven rebounds, eight rebounds and seven assists with one and a half steals. That's elite basketball. And I kept saying last podcast that he was playing some of the best basketball of his career before that point. Yeah. And I feel like it's a weird time to trade him now when his stock's at an all-time low. He's had Norfolk playoffs, but he had coronavirus and obviously players are going to react to that differently and have you know, different side effects, but it looks like that obviously slowed him down. Plus the, the quad and knee injury. So I don't know. I just feel like you, you were better off running it back or at least going half a season and then trying to make a trade when people realize Westbrook can play. Yeah. It, I will admit he was having a really good stretch there when they got rid of Capella and they made essentially Russ, the guy that would attack the paint because, and then he settled with his mid range because he shouldn't be shooting threes um, in anyone's opinion. So I will level with you on that. And it's going to be interesting to see what the wizards and the, the rockets do, but yeah, very much no man's land for the rockets. And I'm not too um, excited for the wizards. All right. Um, moving on. LeBron James has, was this a surprise? I think this is a bit of a surprise. This was a surprise. It came from nowhere. Yeah. Um, you're going to run us through what actually happened or you're just going to ask me it's a well, surprise? I, 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 <laughs> I've just written LeBron extension. And so to rattle it off the top of my head, it was an extension of two years, $85 million. So he signed a contract before the 2018, 2019 um, season for three years plus a player option. And now he's extended for two years beyond the three, voiding the player option, um, which will take him through to the end of the 2022, 2023 season. Yeah. So he's with them for another three years. Um, and then let's just go straight to it because this is definitely um, cohesive. Anthony Davis finally has signed his um, contract with the Lakers, 190 million for five years with, I think basically a player option for the fifth year. So AD and the Lakers have convinced AD for at least one year to still be the guy after this LeBron extension. Yeah. Well, I think uh, firstly, I love that LeBron's, committed to the Lakers because other than signing his rookie extension in Cleveland, he never signed an extension with them. It was always another contract to wait to his contract year and then decide to opt out or opt in sort of thing. So he's genuinely shown more faith in this franchise than he has his whole career so far. But then the other thing I love is that who knows, LeBron James Jr., Bronny, <laughs> he's 
probably the most famous 16-year-old in the basketball world at the moment. Um, and by all accounts, he's good, but not great at this stage. And, you know, he's ranked like 16th in his class or something like that. So all the rumors are coming out now that, and it has been for about six to 12 months that the college or the NBA is going to remove the one year of college, like, you know, the mandatory year of college. So if that's the case and Bronny can go through high school, LeBron's contract ends when Bronny will be drafted. Yeah. And I wonder if LeBron did that. No, that was part of the plan. I wonder if it's somewhere it's like, I want the option, whether I take it or not to play with Bronny when he gets drafted to a franchise if they're in good position, maybe I'll sign there. Yeah, it's a, it's one of those Hollywood sort of prospects. I don't look into it too much, but um, it would be fun to see it happen, I guess. I just feel like, I don't know, unless there was some miraculous story, I just feel like I couldn't see them ending up on the same team um, unless like LeBron has won the Lakers like four championships by then. And then he gets AD traded for whatever pick Bronny's going to be. But <laughs> um, imagine like how, imagine the, like the tanking race. If it was, you get the number one pick and LeBron James this year, if LeBron said he's going to sign with whoever takes him up in the draft, mm. it'd be the most like exciting 12th to 15th in the East and West that there's ever been. Yeah. I think LeBron is LeBron definitely going to um, pass. Is it Kareem up the top with uh, all-time points? Definitely. Um, the last time I checked it, it was something like if he averages and that whoever does these have always got too much time in their hands because they break it down by like points per game per age, you know whatnot, and it'll be like another three seasons or something like that, and he should get it. So unless there's a major injury, yeah, I think, and I think that's LeBron's goal as well. I think he, he really wants that. Yeah. So moving on, before we get to the Ball brothers, <laughs> uh, just a quick rant from me. So Woj reported the tentative and then the confirmed uh, Christmas Day schedule. And as many know, Christmas Day is the biggest day in the NBA. And you should have the biggest matchups or the just the most viewers. Um you know, that's what they try to do with this, this day. Maybe they do, mate. (laughs) So you have your mainstays like the Lakers and the Celtics and of recent times, the Warriors and, and, and the Bucks, I guess. Um, But this is the matchups for the day. Pelicans, Heat, Warriors, Bucks, Nets, Celtics, Mavs, Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets. Is there a team that is missing from that um, schedule, JL. I think they've <laughs> nailed it. And you will never hear me say otherwise. The Philadelphia 76ers fan base will get you... I would love to see the New Orleans Pelicans, Zion included. I would love to see how many viewers they're going to get for that game against the Heat compared to how much in a hypothetical world or even just past numbers, the 76ers would have got, what a joke. What a, and the Warriors, you said, you know, we message the Warriors without clay against the Bucks. Come on. I never said that, mate. I I was surprised the Warriors, but I did say the tentative schedule. So maybe there is some room for a bit of flexibility there and they'll change it up. No, no way. I mean, they, don't, they don't have much time, but they might do it. Yeah. And he, it hasn't officially, you know, the, the schedule hasn't come out yet. Yeah. But also um, the, the two first days before Christmas, because the NBA starts just before Christmas, um, there's four national TV games, uh, Warriors, Nets, Clippers, Lakers, that's opening night. And then the day after is Bucks, Celtics, Mavs, Suns. In those first three days, there is no Philadelphia 76ers. I want Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons to take this personally, to quote um, MJ. <laughs> this, is, this is appalling. Like our viewership would be killing it compared to the Pelicans. That's the one that kills me the most. Um, so that's my little rant. That was. I'm bullshit. glad you got that out. I'm glad you got that out. Yeah. Because I don't want to hear it again. 
And just before, just before we get on to Drew Hanlon now, uh, Leangelo Ball uh, completes the, the hat-trick of Ball Brothers entering the NBA. He was playing for the Oklahoma City Blues, my good old friend Max, who loves the Ball Brothers. <laughs> Shout out to Max. Um, he was playing for Oklahoma City Blues or some crap in the G League and yeah. working on his stuff. But now the Detroit Pistons have signed him to a one-year non-guaranteed Exhibit 10, day, Exhibit 10 so contract. So he's not playing in the NBA. Is, is an Exhibit 10 the same thing as a 10-day? No, an Exhibit 10 means you can go to training camp. And oh. that's literally it. Oh, okay. Right. So here we go. An Exhibit 10 contract is a one-year deal that guarantees that the said player will receive a training camp invitation. <laughs> Exhibit 10 players get bonuses of up to $50,000 to sign with the team's G League affiliate if waived. So he'll be waived and will sign with whoever the Detroit's G League team is and that'll be that. And um, in terms of non-guaranteed the definition is that like money's not guaranteed is that correct the money's guaranteed it's just that they don't have to keep him okay i I thought the non-guaranteed was about the money when you say non-guaranteed because he's he's non-guaranteed exhibit 10 and like dwight howard for example just came out said i want to keep playing but i don't want to play for free because he was on a non-guaranteed for a long time there with the lakers well i think with dwight it was getting paid like per match pretty much. And I think that's how it was like, as your time, you know, you get paid for your time. Yeah. Um, whereas the non-guaranteed Exhibit 10, I was under the impression that this means like you're not guaranteed to be kept on after that. But yeah. who knows? Anyway, Leangelo Ball uh, is doing stuff with NBA titles. Well, uh, let's get on to Drew Hanlon, JL. Um I'm, you, I'm so excited for this. I'm so excited. So we'll uh, bring him up now. All right. We'll, uh, we'll be with you and Drew in a minute. So our very special guest of today probably doesn't need an introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. He shot 40% from three in college, playing for Belmont, made a couple of NCAA tournament appearances. He is the CEO and founder of Pure Sweat Basketball. He has clients by the name of Joel Embiid, Jason Tatum, Zach Levine, and Bradley Beal, just to name a few. Drew Hanlon, how are you? I'm doing well. I, I like how you started out, you being a Sixers fan with Joel's name first, him being a Boston Celtics fan, Jason right afterwards. Uh, I did notice that in the intro, but uh, no, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to uh, join you guys. I know that was 100% intentional as well, <laughs> but we, we spoke off air about the time difference, obviously trying to set up this interview. Um, and if I've done my research correctly, you were here in Australia this time last year. Is that correct? Yeah, no, it was part of my Unseen Hours World Tour. So I spent 10 days over there. Um, I, we did, I think, six total uh, clinics um, for both players and coaches in Australia, uh, primarily in uh, Sydney and Melbourne, uh, then also got to take a little trip to Airlie Beach to see, uh, you know, some of the, the beautiful beaches around there and some of the islands over there. And then uh, we dove the Great Barrier Reef. So it was definitely one of the the coolest places I've ever been. You know, I've been all over the world through the game of basketball. But, uh, you know, Australia was definitely up there. And it's a place that once COVID dies down that uh, I'll definitely be back to visit. So let's get into your journey to the – the best trainer in the NBA today. So you started out uh, putting up a thousand shots before school at high school. Uh, Take us away from there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my work ethic has always been a thing that's, that's helped me, uh, you know, get results as a basketball player and a basketball trainer. You know, I, I tell people that I would, the work ethic started when I was really, really young. You know, if I wanted something instead of my parents just giving it to me, uh, you know, they, they made sure that I worked for it, you know, whether that was me doing a lemonade stand on a, on a street corner or going door to door, cutting grass or shoveling snow, depending on the time of year, maybe even raking leaves. I mean, really, I was willing to hustle any dollar I could out of, out of my neighbors um, just so that I could obtain whatever, you know, candy or meal or shoes that I, I wanted at that time. And, um, you know, then I, I started, you know, falling in love with the game of basketball. I was one of those, you know, kids that, Loved every sport, 
you know, I was actually better at soccer than I was basketball, but just uh, gravitated towards basketball because I loved it so much. And, uh, you know, I found myself in the driveway constantly practicing moves that I had seen the night before. You know, I, I still have VHS recordings. I know that maybe some kids listening to this don't even know what VHS tapes are, but I, had, I have VHS recordings of Michael Jordan games, and I really would. I would VHS record it. I'd rewatch it and whatever moves he did that night, the next day I was in the driveway working on him. And um, when, when I got to 12 years old, I really got serious um, about the game of basketball. I gave up sweets. I didn't have any candy, ice cream, soda, anything until I was done playing college basketball at 22 years old, 10 years without sweets. Um, and then I also started shooting in the morning, which became kind of a famous routine around, uh, around town. And it started with me doing, um, you know, a couple hundred shots every morning. And then it turned into, in high school, I shot a thousand shots every morning. Now, what does that have to do with anything? It has to do with everything because me working really hard was the reason why I started my basketball training uh, journey. I was at a three-court facility and uh, a parent saw me working really hard on one of the courts by myself. And came over and said, hey, listen, you know, my son does not know what real hard work is. I would love to uh, have him go through that exact same workout that you just went through. He's like, I'll give you 20 bucks. And I already told you guys I'm a hustler, you know. And so <laughs> when somebody told me that I got to do two things I love, I love helping people and I love the game of basketball. And they were going to tell me that they were going to give me 20 bucks to do two things that I love at the same time. It was a no brainer. And so that started my training career. I started working with a lot of other players in St. Louis area, uh, one of them being a 13-year-old Brad Beal. And uh, Brad went from eight points a game as a freshman in high school to 24 points a game as a sophomore in high school. He had a 52-point outing, I think, his second game of his sophomore season in high school. And everyone was like, what did you do this summer? And so <laughs> I tell people all the time, Brad was already a hard worker. Brad had already – you know, learned how to shoot from his mom at an early age. So he had some fundamentals. He was lifting weights with his brother. He grew a couple inches, but, uh, you know, I helped accelerate his growth and, um, and the rest was history. You know, in basketball training, it's all about word of mouth. And so if you help get one guy results, the next guy wants results. And, uh, you know, then sure enough, you have a clientele base like, like I do now. And I believe, is it actually true that part of your, obviously your uh, work ethic and what you do for the guys that you've watched every made basket of the NBA of the last eight or so years? So, yeah, so some people, uh, I, I gave that stat. So there was an eight-year period of time where I watched every single made field goal that occurred in the NBA. Um, I was doing film for sometimes up to 10 hours a day, but really if you average it out, um, you know, I wasn't doing it off during the offseason. I was only doing it during the in-season. So it was, you know, four to eight hours a day that I was watching film. Um, but for eight, eight seasons, I watched every single made field goal. I organized them into over 1,400 or 500 categories. And um, I have an unmatched database of film. Um, it's funny because I'm actually getting ready to uh, release it to the public for the first time. I had a bunch of haters uh, that misconstrued what I said. Originally, they thought that I said I watched every made, goal, made field goal in the NBA history. I'm like, Guys, I've never even seen, like, the guys back in, in in the day play. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I've only seen highlights of, like, the guys like Will Chamberlain and stuff like that. I was like, how can you think that I said that? But um, it made me realize that a lot of people uh, were so interested in getting access to that film. So I'm actually going to release it in my skills sco uh, school soon. But, yeah, I mean, that's what I needed to do because I was so young when I started training NBA players. I was 19 years old. I needed to find a way to make up for experience. And I couldn't just make up for it by, you know, getting in the gym for long hours. I had to actually study the game. And the NBA game is so different than high school or college. Not just terminology, but just how they play. Spacing is yeah. different because of the rules. I mean, I teach a lot of moves that would be travels, uh, you know, <laughs> or push-offs or whatever you would call it in the NBA because if the rest allow it, we're going to teach it. So um, it's just a different game. And so I really had to study the game so that I could try to – shrink the gap between what I needed to know uh, to help my clients get to the highest level and what I currently knew at that time. And, uh, you know, I'm still on, on the journey of trying to learn as much as I can and acquire as much knowledge as I can so that I can be more efficient with the workouts, more strategic with the workouts, and ultimately get them better results in a faster period of time. 
One of the guys that I know you, he's from St. Louis as well. You spent some time just recently in this offseason with him, Jason Tatum. Uh, in, in 2018, you and Jason, you got a chance to do a session with Kobe Bryant. And I don't know if there was another one other than that. That's just all that my research uh, got me to. But what, as an extremely driven worker as yourself, what was it like to train with one of the hardest workers to ever step on the court in Kobe? Yeah, it was awesome just to spend time with him and, uh, you know, pick his brain. You know, that was the biggest thing is Jason and I had studied his game. You know, Jason and I started working together when Jason was 13 as well. He's, you know, a St. Louis kid. So we would go up every morning before school and, and get workouts in and, um, you know, when he was 13 years old, the first week that I ever worked out, Jason, what we did was we watched Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Tracy McGrady, even a little bit of Carmelo Anthony. Uh, we watched their jabs and we watched over and over jab, jab, jab. And there was different variations of jabs. And we spent the whole week on his jab step. No jump shots, 13 years old. That was a discipline that Jason had. He wanted to be great. But to be able to be in the gym and just ask Kobe, like, hey, listen, like on your fadeaway, what were your big keys? Uh, you know, on your on your load steps, where are your big keys? On your ball pickups, where are your big keys? Uh, you know, when you saw doubles coming from the nail, what did you do? How did you manipulate your teammates so that, it, you know, was a longer pull for the defender so that you had more room and more time to operate? Uh, but being able to get in the lab with him, pick his brain, and uh, also just, you know, you don't really hear about the weaknesses that the guys have. You hear Mamba mentality. You hear Michael Jordan with like the it factor, you know, and this and that. But uh, being able to be around some of the great players, I always ask about their vulnerability and how they went from being a guy that at one time in their career didn't have that belief that they did. And then how did they get, you know, over that kind of hurdle and, and then become the, the mental kind of, uh, you know, gurus that uh, they, they became in their primes of their careers. And so being able to pick his brain firsthand and, be on the court was awesome. And I know Jason and I obviously appreciate our time with him and, uh, you know, wish we could, could, you know, be in the gym with him, uh, you know, a lot more, um, unfortunately with the tragedy that happened. Yeah. And I suppose as well, like Kobe workout stories are part of basketball legend. Now we've heard, you know, his six, six, six program, which was six hours a day, six days a week, six months a year in the off season. And then, you know, there's the stories of his training in the Olympics where, he'd get up 800 shots at 4am in the morning before practice at 11. Do you see that mentality within any of your clients now? Or is there someone that definitely stands out who, who's the most driven? Now, here's one thing I'll say. So me and my clients talk about this all the time. And I'll make sure I preface this with, I'm not discrediting Kobe or anybody else. But um, you hear stories where like last year, a big story in the NBA was Jimmy Butler went to the gym at 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. <laughs> and what a lot of my other clients said were like, yo, listen, it doesn't matter if you work out at 4 a.m. or 8 a.m. or noon or 2 p.m. As long as you're working out, you're working out. And so I think that similar to me, I shot 1,000 shots in the morning before school. If I would have shot 900, it wouldn't have been as cool. But because I got to that 1,000 mark, most people were maybe shooting triple digits where I was getting to that four digit, it became a story, a headline. I used to wake up at 4.59 a.m. because I wanted to be one minute before everyone that woke up at 5 a.m. and thought they were waking up early. But just think, in high school, everyone's like, this guy's got a different mentality because he wakes up one minute early. Really, it becomes the story around the workout when the truth is there's a lot of guys working on their game for almost six hours a day during the off season. I mean, when you include everything, which he was, you're talking about basketball. Say you spend, you know, two hours on the basketball court. Say you spend an hour doing treatment and rehab. Uh, that's three hours right there. You spend an hour lifting. Maybe you come back and get another hour of shots. I mean, most guys are at four and a half, five hours on a regular kind of day in the off season. So I just think that it was really cool that he did things to give himself a mental edge. You know what I mean? There's been times where I've talked to some of these legends and I've been like, yo, I, you got to tell me about this story that I heard. And they're like, Drew, that was so overblown, like over gas. Like what I did was I just did it so that mentally I could have something that held me accountable for going six hours a day. Or I just woke up early because, you know, then I had the rest of the day to spend with my family, but then it became a big story that I was, you know, grinding early in the morning or whatever it was. And I'm not saying that about the Kobe stuff. I'm just saying in general, I think that fans, latch on to these storylines that sound like, oh my God, this is over the top. Where the truth is, 
Um, there's a lot of guys that I work with that work really, really hard. I think the difference that Kobe had was Kobe was able to transition that mentality into games. And that's what made him really special is him and Jordan had such a killer factor where I have heard true stories where their teammates have been like, after the third quarter, walk, they're walking to the bench and, you know, them sit down on the bench and be like, Whew, all right, guys, hope you had fun in the first three quarters. Hop on my back. I'm carrying us to the finish line. I'm not passing this quarter. And that's the stuff that the mentality stuff that I'm like, that's just different. You know what I mean? And so yeah. um, that's why it's so cool. You know, I've been fortunate to be around a lot of the best basketball players that have ever played the game. And, uh, you know, it was, it was it was great to spend time with Kobe because he's one of them. So you've been a skills coach at all different levels, obviously high school, then college, um, and even still uh, draft prospects. And of course, the NBA. What would you say is the biggest challenge you face when working with an NBA player? Earning their trust, earning their trust. Um, I think without trust, you can't get real development. You can't get real results. Uh, There's a lot of workout coaches that just put players through workouts, get them a good sweat, get them in shape, get them up reps. I'm not one of those guys. I want to develop. I want to be a part of their journey. I want to help them improve at a higher rate than they would if they never met me. And so that takes trust. And I always tell people that, you know, their game is the second most important thing in their life. The things that they love, the people they love, you know, if they're religious, then, you know, whatever they believe in, that's number one. You know, the things that they love is number one. But after faith and family, basketball is most, most of their identity. And so if I'm going to uh, be trusted with their second most important thing in their life, the game of basketball, I have to make sure that, uh, you know, they believe in me, that we're on the same page, and that they know that what we do is going to work. Because if they second guess it, there's going to be hiccups, there's going to be roadblocks, um, you know, and, and, there, and development means breaking down and then building up. And you have to trust somebody to, to be vulnerable enough to break down. And, and I think that that's the, uh, the hardest part, but it's also something that uh, I've spent a lot of time researching, a lot of time in the trenches, a lot of 3 a.m., 4 a.m., you know, me trying to stay awake while they're playing video games just so that we get those deep conversations, you know, when they finish up. Um, but that's what it takes. If you want to get results, you have to be able to put in the work, not just on the court, studying the game off the court, court, studying the analytics, studying the film, uh, studying the mind, and then understanding how to get to your players' hearts, how to get to your players' heads so that you can help them uh, on and off the court, which is so important. Uh, Without naming names, obviously, just for obviously privacy reasons, can you sort of elaborate on any one of those uh, experiences going deep into the hours of the morning, you know, because I know, as you said, and I did a bit of research that you really value their uh, emotional uh, state and uh, you want to help out with any form of depression. Is there any sort of stories without naming names that you you can think? I can actually, yeah, I can actually name a name because he's, he's proud of where he's at now. And that's Myers Leonard. You know, Myers Leonard came to me a couple years ago. This is our fourth summer right now. And he had a uh, bad year for the Portland trailblazers basically got removed from the lineup had shot like 34% from three and, um, and and really had lost all of his confidence. And so when he came to me, I said, Myers, listen, um, this is not going to be an easy process. I'm telling you, if we do our best job this off season, you're still not going to play much next year. And he was like, come on, bro. You told me like, you know, like that you could help me out. I said, I can, but it's going to take some time. And he was like, come on, man, you're, you're, you're the best. Like, that's why I'm coming to you. Like, there's no way we can expedite the process. And I was like, no. I was like, we've got a lot of things to work on. I said, in year one, we've got to really work hard so that when you go and practice, you can prove to your coaches and your teammates who have lost faith in you that you're a changed player. Now, if you do that all season long, you might get sprinkle minutes here and there. But in summer two, we can really work on developing your game. And then after summer two, then your coaches will at least give you an opportunity to earn a little bit more of a playing role. And he's like, that doesn't sound good. We're talking about two years from now. And I was like, but in year three, then you're going to have a chance to really make a difference. And so we went, there were two parts of his development. It was his mind and his game. And so the first thing that I did was we worked on his shot and I tried to show him that he could trust me with the shot. You know, the last three seasons, the only three seasons I've worked with him, he shot over 40% from three, all three years. So obviously that was a big win on my part, meaning 
he trusted me where he was like, wow, the stuff we're doing is paying off. In year one, exactly what I said happened. Coaches didn't really give him a chance, but players started to see a little bit different, uh, you know, version of himself. Year two, he came back. He played really, really well that year. That was a year that uh, he had those two games against Golden State that he blew up in the playoffs. He had a 30-point game. He had like yeah. a 17-point game. Everyone was like, whoa, that's how he finished the season. And then last year, he started every game for the Miami Heat until he got hurt. Um, and and it's just because he's in a, such a different mental state. And um, he, he cleaned up, you know, everything that he was doing on the basketball court and, more importantly, everything that was holding him back in his mind. And, uh, you know, he's one of – one of my favorite guys to work with because he's such a uh, genuine guy. He's such a hard worker. He's such a good dude. He cares about everyone around him. But, um, yeah, Myers, he's not, he's not like a lot of the other guys that I've helped out. He's proud that, you know, he came from the gutter and, and, and got to where he's at. And, and he's also helped a lot of other players that are, are going through it and aren't um, as outspoken about where they are, you know, uh, go through the depression journey or go through the, uh, you know, kind of slump journey that, that he went through. That's an inspire, inspiring story to hear um, about Myers. Um, and, and just talking on the, on the lines of challenges and also relationships with players, it wasn't hard for anyone to see. Um, I know this might be, might've been overblown as well, but it wasn't hard for anyone to see that the Bulls and, and Zach Levine were a bit disgruntled with the coaching staff last season. Um, how do you approach um, your relationship with your clients when they're enduring a whole season with uh, frustration, frustrations such as those? Well, I'll tell you, the first thing is I try to get on uh, the same page with the coaching staff, uh, the front office, everybody, so that we're all working together. Um, I think that one thing that uh, doesn't happen enough at the youth level is trainers – and coaches don't get along and it's hard for the player to understand what the role is, what they should be doing. And, and it, and it causes players overthinking in games, which is never good. So the first thing that I always try to do is I try to reach out to the coaching staff. I try to reach out to the front office. Um, and then obviously I talk it over with the players so that we're all trying to push them in the same direction. Now, when that doesn't happen, then what we do is we try to make, uh, you know, make the best out of the situation. And, you know, if you look at Zach's season last year, averaged 26 points a game. He shot close to 40% from three. Um, I mean, he should have been an all-star, to be honest with you. His team yeah. just didn't win enough games. Um, and, you know, there's some voters that only put, you know, playoff team players in the all-star game. But he was one of the best 12 players in the Eastern Conference last year. Um, you know, Zach just kept his head down and just kept working. That's all he's ever done. You know, he's been a hard worker ever since uh, before I met him and – uh, you know, that's what he kept doing. He, he didn't let the frustration eat him up. There was a little period of time during the year where he went through a little bit of a slump, but he got himself right back out of it, kept working. And, uh, you know, that's why he had the efficient, you know, breakout offensive year that he did last year. That game against Charlotte. I think oh, it was Charlotte. What a game. Like 13 threes or something like that, hit the game winner. But you can definitely see like his progression as he came into the league from when he was in Minnesota to now. He's just, it's night and day of how much he's improved. He's a, he's a worker, you know, and, and one of the things that happened was everybody kept saying, oh, he's a dunker, he's a dunker, and he was like, no, like, I'm a hooper. You know what I mean? Like, he really loves basketball, he really loves working, and he's really, really good at basketball, and so um, I'm glad that he's been able to prove it, and uh, I think I think that, you know, he's going to continue to develop and grow and mature, and um, I, I think he's going to be one of those guys that people look back and go, whoa, where did this come from when it's all said and done? Do you ever find, on the contrary, there's players that that come into the league and maybe excel straight away and it's a matter of trying to bring their ego back down to keep work or make, making sure they work hard? For sure. I think that there's a lot of players in the NBA that, um, you know, because they were so confident, it almost got them to the NBA, but because they're too confident, it almost gets them out of the NBA. You know, I mean, if you think about, and I don't want to name draw, I don't like putting, you know, players down because they're still some of the best players in the world if they're in the NBA. But um, there's players that have been college, like all Americans, that when they came in the NBA, they didn't accept the roles that their teams needed them. And then they fizzled out of the NBA. There's been, you know, guys that were dominant post players in college that needed to become, um, you know, kind of spot up 
uh, pick and roll, pick and pop kind of guys that said, you know what, no, I need the ball on the block and I need isolation touches. And it just doesn't happen. You know what I mean? I was, it was funny. I was, um, I was talking to one of the players in this year's draft that was a lottery pick and um, they were working on some isolation moves in their pre-draft process. And I said, Hey, let me ask you a question. What team is going to give you isolations next year? And uh, he was like, what do you mean, man? He's like, you know, I'm going to add in my bag. And I said, listen, I'm just telling you the first thing you need to do is work on the role that teams are going to need from you. Because if you go to, let's just name some teams off. If you go to Boston, do you think they're going to give you the ball or they're going to give Jason or Jalen or Kemba, et cetera, the ball? Okay, probably not. If you go to Philly, do you think they're going to give Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons or Tobias Harris or you the ball? If you go to, you know, almost any team, they have three or four guys that they would rather give the ball if they're going to isolate. And so when, when players don't understand that, if they let their egos get in the way of kind of understanding how they can add value to winning, that's when it, it really ends up hurting them. And now, trust me, there are some players that have, you know, almost, uh, you know, believed in themselves to the point where they have become great players too. You know, you look at some players where they come in the league and people are like, Oh, man, this guy, he's, you know, he's going to be this type of player. And then they end up taking a, a big jump and you're like, wow. And, and you hear stories from them. They're like, I always knew this was going to happen. You know, other people just didn't believe in me. But I would say the most important thing for players that are young is to understand that they need to master the role that they're currently in while working towards the role that they want, not master the role that you want, and then try to force your way into that role. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's another player that I'm really intrigued about. Um, and that's Taco Fall. I know you've worked with him and I suppose his story is quite an interesting one because he became, I suppose, internet famous in the basketball world just because of his high school highlights where he's just extraordinarily tall, but didn't really have the skill to go with it, but he's worked his way to college and then he's worked his way to an NBA roster with the Celtics. And then he's even managed to get you know an extension on that rookie deal. And he's playing for his second year with the Boston Celtics coming up but what's it like working with someone that started playing the game at such an or a late age so he's 16 I believe and didn't pick it up as quickly as other guys that picked it up late like Embiid or Pascal Siakam for example Taco I love him man Taco is obviously uh I didn't realize how how famous Taco was um until I walked into a gym we there was a uh, like a fundraiser camp or like a give back camp that was going on in LA during the pre-draft process. And I walked in with RJ Barrett and Taco Fall. And I was like, all right, RJ just got done playing with Duke. And that was when Duke had, you know, him and Zion and Cam Reddish, and they were on ESPN every night. And we walked in the gym and every kid (laughs) started yelling, Taco, Taco. And I looked at RJ and I said, this is not what I expected. I thought everybody was going to be all about, you know, Dookie and RJ, but everyone loves Taco. I've never met some, uh, somebody that has met or interacted with Taco that doesn't love him. He's just such a good guy. But, um, yeah, the reason we connected was, uh, you know, I, when he was at UCF, I had saw the viral clips of him shooting his free throw where his hands went behind his head. And uh, like everybody else, I said, you know, what the heck is going on? And so when I was down there, I got in the gym with him late at night and I said, Hey, talk, let me, let me give you a couple of little pointers on your free throw just to help you out. And his hands were so big. So we had to move his hands on the ball and this or that. And uh, he made three in a row and his teammates started going crazy. And I was like, Oh, what's the big deal? And they're like, yo, talk's never made three in a <laughs> row before. He gets too nervous after he shoots the first one. And so, very similar to Dwight Howard thing. Uh, you know, it was some mental and then some just him learning the game late. And so um, we got in the gym. He worked his butt off all uh, off season, and, um, you know, started to develop and jump hooks, started to be able to set good screens and roll, started to be able to move well. And, um, you know, he, he still got such a big upside. Um, but, yeah, just getting him really good at the basics touch with his right hand, touch with his left hand, keeping the ball high after he gets an offensive rebound, setting screens and rolling and being able to catch bad passes, defend without fouling. Those are the big things that he's working on because those are the things that are going to keep him in the league. Uh, And 
let's get to the important stuff now. Uh, <laughs> over the last few years, things haven't exactly been smooth sailing in uh, Philadelphia, whether it be their former GM having burner accounts and uh, trash talking on their best player. Um, uh, Joel's good mate, Jimmy Butler, coming and going so quickly. And then uh, uh, the log jam with Al Horford last season. Uh, now that pieces seem to be falling into place around Joel, um, with obviously the shooting with Seth and Danny Green um, and also the logjam sort of being resolved with Horford uh, departing. What leaps can we expect to see uh, Joel make? And, and have you spoken to him this offseason? Well, not only have I spoken with him, I mean, I spent uh, a month in Philly with him. So uh, oh, we yeah. talk all the time. Um, I'm actually going up there next week. So, yeah, I mean, we, um, you know, we, we've talked about, you know, every each and every year, uh, about how he can grow and develop, um, you know, and obviously uh, there's been some some injuries that have uh, not let him get in rhythm in some of the seasons. But, you know, I think that everyone saw the healthy year they had two years ago where he, you know, put up 27 and a half, I think 13 and three or something like that, which is something that Shaq only did once in his NBA career, his only MVP season is 2000 year. So um, we know what he's capable of. You know, now the next step is being able to carry a team in the postseason. And, um, you know, that's the only thing that really matters. That's the only thing that's going to define his career is, uh, you know, can he win championships? Um, you know, and, and, and that's something that we do think he can do. And so uh, he's another relentless worker. Um, he's a guy that um, studies more film than maybe anybody I work with. I mean, there's, I don't know how many times that, you know, I get the random 2, 3 a.m. text message from him of send me, send me my clips or send so-and-so's clips or, we watched every single Hakeem Olajuwon shot probably of his career, Shaq, uh, Tim Duncan, and then all the current bigs because he doesn't want anybody in the NBA to have something that he doesn't have in his bag. And so, um, you know, the, the talent is there, the work ethic is there, the IQ is there. Um, now I hope that, you know, he continues to get uh, the pieces around him so that he can really uh, carry the – the Sixers to what we think, you know, he's capable of doing. Yeah, me too. Please, <laughs> me too. please make sure though, Drew, that you don't spend all your time with Joel because if the 76ers somehow managed to beat the Celtics in a playoff series, I wouldn't hear the end of it. I've been nice and respectful to Nathan. So <laughs> I don't think he'd hey, uh, reciprocate that. Every summer, uh, Jason walks in the gym and the first thing he says to Joel is whatever the series was, you know, 4-1 or 4-0 or whatever, you know, their two, their two playoff battles were. But, I saw, I saw um, one of your videos where they were playing ones and uh, someone said, like, who's starting? And Jason grabbed the ball and was like, we beat you in the playoffs. I'm starting. Yeah, no, they, they have some good battles. They love each other. They respect each other. They both so work so hard on their craft. And uh, it's, fun, it's fun for me and it's also like, you know, you almost, there's a ton of hold your breath moments when they're playing against each other because um, I always laugh when I'm at games uh, and and say they're playing each other. Joel hits a fadeaway, and I'm like, there we go, Joe. And then the next possession, Jason hits a sidestep three, and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, keep going, Jay, keep going, Jay. And the fans look behind me like, yo, you're a front runner, bro. You're cheering <laughs> for both teams. I'm like, no, 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 I'm just cheering for these guys. So, um but, yeah, no, it's fun to see, you know, four of the top 20 scorers in the league last year, Brad Beal, Jason Tatum, Joel Embiid, and Zach Levine were all pure sweat guys. And I've, I've had all those guys from, you know, Jason and Brad since they were 13, Joel and Zach before they ever started playing in the NBA. So uh, to have, you know, four of the top 20 scorers, other guys like Myers Leonard and Kelly Oubre and RJ Barrett and, and the list goes on, it's, it's fun to work with some of these top guys and be a part of their development and uh, to see them grow each and every year is always exciting. So do you have anything else, Jack, before we get into just the end? I'm ready for a good bit of fun. Okay. Um, so we're just going to do some rapid fire questions, just whatever comes to your mind first. Um, you can clarify and if you feel like going on, that's good. Um, but yeah, just some quick questions. You'll understand um, that some of them are, couple of debate settlers between me and jack um so here we go uh, i'll go first who's the fastest learner out of your um pure sweat clients i would say joel Embiid. beautiful he also speaks yeah i think a lot of the guys that I've, I've worked with that speak multiple languages end up picking up stuff pretty quickly but 
Um, you know, there's been times where I've taught Joel something on film, not even in the gym, like just showed him something on film and the next night he used it in a game. So his ability to apply new things is, is, is up there with anybody. But Brad Beal and Jason Tatum are a very close um, two, three. Brad and Jason just have so much in their bag that they can just do everything already. Like they already have it in their bag, whereas Joel is more learning and acquiring new skills, which is why I threw his name out there. Who's the funniest off the court or on the court as well? I would say, I would say Taco, to be honest with you. He's, he's a goofball, always having fun. He's like a little kid. Like, you know, he's a little kid that is, that happens to be seven, six or seven, seven. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Who has the most, uh, you might've already answered this, but who has the most competitive one-on-ones? Ooh, that one's tough. I mean, I I would probably say Brad Beal on that one. Uh, this was the first offseason that Brad Beal and I did not get in a actual fight uh, because normally <laughs> our trash talk gets so heavy. Now, remember, I've worked with Brad for 13 years now. Yeah. And when we started working out, I actually worked out with him because I was a player. You know, I won a state championship my senior year in high school, his freshman year in high school. So there was, you know, believe it or not, the first couple of years that we worked out, I was always way better than him. Um, you know, I, obviously that's not the case anymore, but – um, so our trash talking gets very heated. So this was the first summer that we ever did not get in a fight. And we're actually proud of that. Um, I'll take the next one, Jack. <laughs> um, did you think that Jason's beard would actually connect? Ooh, I give him trouble for that all the time. As you guys can see, my beard's a lot better than him. But every time I give him trouble about the beard, he'll tell me that his hairline's fresher. So, uh, we have a, uh, we, we have a win, win, lose situation where he wins one, I win one. So. <laughs> if you could work with any past player, who would it be? Past player? Michael Jordan. I mean, yeah. there is there is no doubt about it. I uh, got to spend a little time with him this offseason, but uh, I mean, he's the GOAT, the greatest player of all time. He's one of the big reasons why I fell in love with basketball. When I was younger, I only wore Chicago Bulls gear and Michael Jordan jerseys, uh, you know, everywhere. And like I said, I VHS recorded his games. If I got in trouble for anything, my punishment was I couldn't watch MJ on TV. I mean, that, that's how obsessive I was with MJ. And is there a current player that um, you currently don't have in your clientele that you would love to work with? I always answer Giannis just because I think, you know, he could be unbelievable if he ever developed a consistent jump shot and, and you know, uh, you know, really improved his footwork and added some moves. But Obviously, with um, Brad, Zach, Jason, Joel, Myers, all the rest of the guys in the Eastern Conference, they, uh, they all like that I, I've stayed away from that. <laughs> <laughs> this is another one that uh, Nathan and I constantly debate over. Rap or country music? I'm all rap. I'm ah. all rap. The only country music that you're going to hear from me is if Nelly did a feature with Tim McGraw or something <laughs> like that. That's, man, that's the only country music. I, I went to college at Belmont University, which is, um, you know, in Nashville, uh, in Nashville. And on my visit, they were like, uh, the, my recruiting visit, they were trying to impress me and they took me downtown and I was at this huge concert and I was backstage doing this stuff. And I was like, I get on the phone and I'm like, Hey mom, uh, you know, I was like, I love it. You know, she was asking me how the, the visit was going. And I said, I'm at a Kenny Chesnick concert. And they're like, Kenny Chesney, Drew, Kenny Chesney. I, I didn't even know his name. And they were like, oh, man, we got we, we, we blew it. We didn't know that you didn't like country at all. So um, no, I'm, all, I'm all rap all the time. You're a good man, Drew. Um, uh, if you're on the court working or working out all day, and uh, you know, we've seen some of the unseen hours uh, videos when you're there from seven till nearly one in the morning, and I'm sure there's even more. Um, what shoes are your go-to shoes? To be honest with you, I have so many shoes and it really depends on whatever color I'm wearing. I'm one of those weirdos that like, I have to have my shoes match my shorts and my shirt. So I usually just go whatever matches, but um I am always a wear one shoe type of guy, meaning like once I find the style that I like, I just rock and roll with it in every colorway possible. I'm not a guy that mixes up, you know, this player signature shoe, this player signature shoe. Um, so that's, that's kind of how I'm at right now. It's every season is different and I just get every single colorway of whatever shoe I like and, and I rock them and uh, just to match the outfit. 
We're we're still waiting for the Nike Drew Hamlin ones to to be announced. <laughs> I've um, been, I've, I've been, I've been, uh, I've, I've been thinking about, uh, you know, getting a, a pure sweat shoe for the longest. I just, I see too many players that wear non, um, Adidas, Nike, Jordan, uh, shoes that end up having injuries and stuff like that. And so I'm like, you know what, I don't want to go, you know, <laughs> offshores, get some shoes that end up hurting somebody. So I've stayed away from it, but one of these days we'll get like a player edition, kind of a trainer edition shoe. And, uh, and hopefully you guys will get those. Is there a player that's a Patrick Ewing or a Kevin Garnett that's comfortably sweating the most in the gym? Ooh, that's, that's, a, that's a close call between uh, Joel and Taco. Um, <laughs> Joel sweats so much. So listen, I'm going to give a shout out to his manager, Jenny Sachs, who literally for the first summer I ever uh, worked out Joel, she would, we'd be on one side, we'd do like 12 reps and he'd be sweating so much that there was a puddle of sweat. We'd have to run down to the other side of the court. She'd be, you know, wiping it up. And then 12 reps later, we'd go to the other side and she'd walk down and she was literally going back and forth, just kind of toweling it up. She's, um, she's now like a movie star. So she doesn't uh, do the, the wiping up of the sweat anymore. We have interns for that, but Joel and Taco are both up there. That's the real uh, unseen hours. <laughs> no doubt about it. Who has put you on a plane the most? Ooh, that's that's a hard question. I can't even answer that question to be honest with you. I'm I spend my entire life uh traveling to the guys and um I have I, I couldn't even answer that. All <laughs> of them. I feel like I'm I feel like I'm never home. <laughs> what's the what's the situation about like how much notice like do they have to book well and truly in advance or is it sometimes it's what are you doing tomorrow evening? I don't know if I've ever had a plane ticket more than a day before my flight. <laughs> so, no, I mean, it's like they have a bad game. They're in the locker room. They text me, yo, I need you here. And next thing you know, I've, I've got my ticket information and, and I'm there. And so it's a, uh, it's a nonstop, um, you know, I'll think I'll have a week off and think I'm going to get to play golf or go spend time with my family and uh, planes, you know, plans change as soon as uh, a guy has an off shooting night or, uh, you know, feels like he needs to adjust to a scheme or coverage that he can't figure out on his own. And we come to the most important and final question of the podcast and answer this as you will. Um, who would you build around uh, with a perfect coach and a perfect GM, Jason and Jalen or Joel and Ben? <laughs> You know I'm not going to answer that. There's no, there's no question. I, I would tell you that, uh, you know, I, I would choose uh, Joel and Jason to be the twosome out of those guys and, uh, and rock and roll. No, no, no chance you're going to get me to, uh, to get one of those guys mad, I'll tell you that much. Well, you know, uh, you know what Nathan and I's answers would have been for that question. I know what both your guys' answers, and I already know how you guys would have went. You know, obviously – the Celtic fans would say, well, look, they beat them both in the uh, playoffs. Then the Sixers would counter, yeah, but you guys had a better team around the supporting cast. Our guys have been all-stars more often than not, and all NBA guys, and it would have been a, a, a standstill argument. You read us like a book. That's it. <laughs> I mean, I was going to start chirping in there, but you basically said everything I was going to say. <laughs> Drew, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, it's been an honor. And just quickly, I believe you're writing a book and I'm really excited about it. Yeah, no, I'm writing a book. I'm writing uh, two books right now, but uh, one of them that's coming out is going to be called Stop BSing Yourself. And it's basically the art of actually doing all the things that we as humans know we need to do, but we don't do. You know, for the people that say, man, look in the mirror. I wish I lost a few pounds. You know what you need to do. Uh, there's, there's a science behind actually following through with the things you need to do. For the people that, you know, say they want to get better and improve their game, there's things that you know you need to do that you need to follow through and do. And so uh, I really want to dig deep into the mental side of not just basketball, but just life and uh, help people follow through with the commitments that will take their, their lives to a whole new level. Can't wait to get my hands on that one. Thank you so much once again for coming on the show. Yeah, no doubt. I, uh, I look forward to seeing you guys and meeting you guys when I get back out to Australia. Looking forward to it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bronx Cheer Basketball Show. It was really awesome to have Drew Handlin on. Uh, JL, I know this is a pre-recorded message, but what did you think of Drew? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> oh, mate, that was the best interview I've ever done. I think <laughs> all the questions I asked were fantastic. You, you dropped the ball a little bit, oh. uh, but that was expected. Uh, totally transparent here. Uh, <laughs> this part is pre-recorded, but um, we hope you enjoyed the interview that will happen. <laughs> I could, I've really stuffed this up. Um, we hope you enjoyed the interview with Drew. Um, I'm sure it was a great time. And don't forget to press subscribe and follow whatever that button is on your podcast app or press subscribe on YouTube. Check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, we post lots of NBA updates and news and memes and stuff like that. It's always good to keep up with the Bronx Shear basketball. JL, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm going to say what I said last pod. Next pod, there may be a guest again. Don't hold me to it. No, hold me to it, but don't hold me to it. So what you're trying to say is we're, interviewing drew hanlon today mm, we, no, we, we already his, interviewed him and his two biggest clients jason tatum and joel Embiid, <laughs> and you've somehow lined up a mystery guest for next show i'm <laughs> i'm pretty keen for that one uh one of our our guests next week is seven foot no <laughs> <laughs> from cameroon anyway uh thanks for today jl my pleasure as always